Welcome to the Wisdom and Wealth Podcast, a series of conversations designed to equip you, our listener, with the helpful insights necessary to simplify the critical decision points of life. I'm Josh Clues, a wealth advisor with Carson Wealth here in the Woodlands, Texas. I believe my calling in this life is to enable others to fulfill their own calling by helping them harness their financial wealth to their purpose in life. Please join me each week for market thoughts, planning ideas, and most importantly, intangible balance sheet discussions, which highlight the importance of all those things money can't buy and death can't take away. Investment advisory services offered through CWM, LLC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Hello, and welcome to the Wisdom and Wealth Podcast. I'm Josh Clues, the Senior Wealth Planner for Carson Wealth here in the Woodlands, Texas. Today is another one of our uh, intangible balance sheet episodes that we feature over the weekend. Um, and it is my pleasure to introduce to you today, Carrie Siggins. Carrie, welcome to the podcast and thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. For those of uh, our audience that maybe you know, just joining in or are newer to the podcast, we call it the intangible balance sheet um, because at the end of the day, I believe that there are things in this life that we value far more than money. Um, and largely those uh, those things that we value are, are our principles, our first principles, life, life values that we live by. But typically they're bound up in stories. And so to the degree possible that we can, I like to invite guests on um, that are willing to share their life story or maybe even stories that live on their family's intangible balance sheet, you know, a generation or two back um, and learn from and glean from the wisdom shared there. Uh, but Carrie, before we dive into that, would you mind just briefly introducing yourself uh, to our audience um, and then we'll you know, jump into the, the larger conversation? Yeah, absolutely. So Carrie Siggins, um, I'm the CEO of a company called Stone Age. Uh, we've got a couple different companies uh, that are part of the Stone Age family. We make industrial cleaning robots. We make sewer cleaning tools. We make um, we help clients with IoT uh, devices, making smart devices, things like that. But we all are focused in the industrial space, um, industrial OEMs, industrial manufacturing, um, industrial facilities. So it's a it's a dirty business that I'm in. Uh, and I live in Durango, Colorado. I have uh, a husband. My husband, Ryan, is an entrepreneur and we have a millworks company that he runs uh, called SoCo Wood and Windows. And I have a 10-year-old son named Jack, who is a Durango kid. He skis, he bikes, he he plays basketball, he plays golf, he does it all. <laughs> Never a dull moment, I, I'm no, sure. Never. Um, so um, you, you mentioned golf. Uh, is that the the uh, sport of, of choice the, this time of year, since you're not skiing or... For my it, husband it, 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 and son, things. yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm right. not a golfer. I uh, I don't have the patience to learn how to golf, and uh, I like I like things like riding my mountain bike downhill really fast. <laughs> so uh, a little bit more action than than golfing. So they golf a lot. I'll go for a mountain bike ride. But yes, they uh, they actually just got back from a golf trip in Kansas uh, this week. So they're doing, they're playing lots and lots of golf. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. So, uh, in their downtime, do they force you to watch golf on TV? Cause that, that's something I just have never been able to do. Oh God. No, it's no, I don't watch TV. Um, I have way too many things, way too many things I want to do in life than watch TV and especially Good. watch golf. Uh, so if 
if you, you are never going to find me in front of the TV unless I'm like sick, uh, other than that. And then I'm definitely not watching golf. So I like, I don't mind keeping up on like what's going on, like all the, you know, the, the live versus the, you know, PGA, uh, drama and all of that kind of stuff. And Tiger Woods, you know, being amazing that he is just like what a, what fortitude that human being has. And you you might not agree with everything that Tiger Woods is about, but you, man, that guy does not give up. And so I listen to like, I pay attention to those kinds of things because it's more of like what you said, it's the stories behind it rather than, you know, actually um, caring about the outcome of any particular golf match. <laughs> Good. Well, I, I like you um, am not much of a golfer, but um, without further, further uh, delay, uh, more, more to the point of the podcast, but uh, <laughs> Could you give us a little bit of background uh, about your upbringing? I'm finding that more and more, um, a lot of the life principles that we bring with us and that we've lived by um, can be encapsulated, not just by the principles that our grandparents or parents passed on to us, but maybe there's even stories that go a couple generations back. Is there anything that stands out to you when you think back on your parents, grandparents, maybe even great-grandparents' generation? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I completely agree with you. I think we are shaped by um, by the, our upbringings um, and by the things that our parents did or things that our parents didn't do. Uh, and I certainly would say that that it very that very much rings true to me. So first and foremost, I come from a lineage of hardworking women. Uh, in fact, I am the last. I will be the last of the. Women in my generation coming from the women in my generation or in in my family. So, uh, so that's kind of sad. I have a son. Uh, I'm not having any more children. So, so I'm it. So it's kind of like the weight of the responsibility of carrying on that legacy of hardworking women who, you know, were both both had careers and who raised families and were kind, generous, amazing human beings. So. I feel like that is a strong thread that is woven through, you know, the fabric of my very being. Um, And so, you know, that being said, I come from a very strong background, a background of very strong work ethic. Uh, My dad left when I was really young, um, probably when I was about four, he was in and out of my life. Um, He's a very hard worker. He's almost 80 and he still works to this day. Um, not because he has to, but because he loves to. Um, but my mom raised my brother and me on her own. And she is the hardest worker I know. She would work three do- jobs to make sure that she had food on the table for us. And that even though we didn't have a lot of money, we never worried about, you know, we never worried about being poor. Um, but she worked really hard. In fact, when I was 12, 11 or 12, she decided to go back to college and um, get a degree so that she could teach. And she drove, I grew up in rural Colorado. She drove from Montrose, Colorado to Gunnison, Colorado, which is where Western State University is. It is a ridiculous drive in the winter. She would do classes on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and she put herself through school while working um, completely on her own. So I just grew up with this, this idea of you know, your value and your worth is very much built upon 
um, how hard you work. My grandfather was an entrepreneur. He moved from the Midwest to leaving um, leaving executive an executive role at the J.C. Penney Company in retail to start his own sporting goods stores. I started working in his sporting goods stores when I was 11 years old. I convinced him to hire me to count inventory and um, restock things, and then you know moved to the cash register and eventually ran the marking room where I would mark all the inventory for all of his stores. So um, you know, it was just very much about um, about working hard to drive success. The one thing, and then I'll shut up because I know this is a long story, but the one thing that I would say I didn't want to do is I didn't want to be like my mom in the sense of having to scrape by to make ends meet. I always knew that I, I wanted to do something that was different than that. And, um, and I love my mother for what she does. She's amazing, but I want to, I wanted to make more money. Uh, I didn't want to struggle like she did and constantly be worrying about it and have to work night jobs to make sure that she could you know, pay the mortgage. So um, those are the things that really fundamentally set me up for where I am today is work ethic and I am not going to be poor. <laughs> and do you remember, so I've got to ask this, do you remember the first time where you said, you know, hey, I'm not going to trade time for money? Um, in the same way. Do you remember, was that, was there an instance that stood out to you? Um, for sure. And that was when I was pregnant with my son. Uh, so it was 2012 and I had just filled up my plate way too much. Um, I was the kind of person that felt like if I said no, I was going to one, miss out on an opportunity or two, feel like I was letting somebody down. And so people would ask me to be on a board. I would say yes. People would ask me to speak at something. I would say yes. And I was about to have, I was about maybe a month away from having my son and I completely broke down and, and I was so stressed. And my mom said, you, if you can pick three things to be good at, what would it be? And I said, be a great CEO and leader, be a great mom and wife. And to make sure I'm taking care of myself, that I have time to exercise and get a massage and meditate and read, do the things that fill my, my, my soul besides working all the time. And she was like, then just do those three, three things, say no to everything else. And that was that first eye opening moment of, I don't have to try to do it all. In fact, I'm going to have a much, much better life if I don't try to do it all. And I want to have time to be a great mom. And I want to have time to take care of myself and, and do things that feed, you know, that feed my energy and feed my soul that, that isn't just about work, 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 work. Yeah. So the, the hardworking theme, I think, you know, comes through in most everybody's background that I, that I interview, you know, by and large. Um, and one of the reasons I think it, it comes through is, is our parents, but also our community. Um, do you look back on the communities that you grew up in and do you see a, a work ethic or a, an ethos that you look back on and you're like, yeah, that, that shaped me as well as my parents at all? Yeah, I don't think maybe as um, maybe maybe more subconsciously than uh, than consciously, but yeah, I grew up in I grew up in a small rural town ranching community on the western slope of Colorado. It was not a town where there was a lot of money. Um, it still isn't. It's a feeder town for Telluride, so money comes through. But everybody was pretty much you know working class, middle class. Uh, you know, people who are either ranching, farming, or, you know, part of the service industry or, you know, creating businesses that, that could keep a small town, um, you know, going, uh, in, in, 
in the middle of nowhere. And so, yeah, I do think that that hard work was definitely part of our community ethos because that's what you did. Everybody worked. All my friends had jobs when, you know, when we were teenagers and, and we were all expected to contribute and, uh, you know, not only to, to chores at the house, but also, you know, go make your own money. I mean, I think that's part of being Gen Xers too. It's pretty much like you're on your own, like go figure it out. Uh, and so, yeah, I think it was a community thing. I think it was a generational thing as well, but I feel like that's what we did. We all had jobs. We all worked. Yeah. When you think of um, the beliefs and principles that are most important to you now, um, are there any stories behind them outside of of hard work that you look back on? You're like, hey, um, th- that was always there. I just couldn't quite put my couldn't qu- quite put my thumb on it at the time. Yeah, for sure. Um, and that that is being authentically who you are. Um, I made a mess of my life uh, because I was for much of it. Uh, you know, through my teens and twenties, uh, which was trying to be what I thought other people wanted me to be because my dad left at a young age and he was in and out of my life. Um, and when he would be back in my life, it was always traumatic. Um, you know, you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You, you know, don't eat that. It's going to make you fatter than you already are. Like all of those things that, you know, I'm sure he had good intentions for trying to like shape me into a good human being were really destructive. Um, because I was like, why doesn't he love me? And I think that combined with my personality type, which is one that, you know, seeks recognition and seeks approval, um, which I didn't know that at the time, but I know that now it led me to some pretty dark places. And so a lot of the decisions that I made about my career, like where I was going to go to college, my career choices, how I live my life was always trying to look through like through the lens of how other people would view me. And it led me to, um, it led me to a really, really bad place. And so as I was rebuilding my life, um, after hitting rock bottom back in 2006, um, and I started figuring out that this was a big part of my issue, um, was this need to please and this need to shape myself into what I thought what other people wanted me to be, I found like who I truly was. And so now the work that I do, it feeds me as a human being. It feeds what my goals and what I really want, the kind of person I really want to be, not what I thought other people wanted me to be. So that was a a huge part of my life. Um, It dramatically shaped my life. And I'm also really grateful for it because you know, hitting rock bottom and, and having the opportunity to, to shift is also why I'm sitting where I am today, like literally living my very best life. I, I, I live a magical life, but I wouldn't have, wouldn't be here if it wouldn't have been for those dark places of trying to be somebody else that I, trying to be somebody who I wasn't. Yeah. I I can't remember who said it, but it was a historian, I believe that said, you know, we have that uniquely American disease that we want to be liked or we want to be, yeah. you know, we, we want to be something that other people yeah. regard rather than looking in the mirror and saying, you know, Hey, it's, it's been worth it. Um, are, are there any, um, are, are there any stories, um, and experiences that, uh, you know, since that point that have been pivotal a- along the way where, you know, you, you sit down and you say, Hey, this is what I want to become. Um, and, and any stories about, you know, kind of the direction that you took after that point? Yeah. Um, I mean, lots. So 
I've always been a natural leader and I could lead people like in a really good direction and then also off of a cliff. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, And so a big thing that I learned um, along this process is the value of leading myself well. And I didn't really ever understand this concept of self-leadership until, until I was in my thirties and, and we're always leading ourselves, whether we're doing it well or whether we're doing it poorly. Um, but I think that a whole idea of I'm responsible for everything that happens in my life. Um, and no matter what, even if I'm a victim of circumstance, I still am responsible for how I choose to react to it or respond to it, um, was really empowering, really empowered me to think about what do I want with my life? If I am responsible for the outcome of my life, what do I want to create? And when you take full responsibility like that, it, while yes, you know, sometimes it can be hard because you have to admit your mistakes or admit, you know, face the parts of yourself that you don't necessarily like, you also empower yourself to make those, to make changes, to create what you want. And really leaning into this idea of self-leadership and personal responsibility allowed me to say, okay, I don't want a life like this. I want a life like this instead. What do I need to do to make that happen? What kind of person do I need to be? What kind of what kind of person do I want to be? What kind of self-reflection, what kind of self-awareness do I need to develop about myself so that I understand my impact that I have on others? And how do I make choices that help me get to that? How do I visualize what I want so I can manifest it? Um, and I think that was a really pivotal thing. And, and I'll never forget. It was my mom. She told me, you know, you needed when I, I, I had to come home, um, after, so I overdosed, um, in 2006 on, uh, mixed substances, um, controlled substances, accidental, but it was totally rock bottom. And my mom said, you have to start taking responsibility for everything that happens in your life. You cannot lead others until you lead yourself well. And, and that was just such a jarring concept to me because I blamed my dad. I blamed a crappy job. I blamed myself. I blamed all kinds of things rather than owning it. And that was a huge shift that, um, that shift in mindset was really pivotal for me to be able to start to create the life that I really wanted for myself. Mm, thank you for sharing that. The The next piece of um, the podcast that I, I typically go through with, with people is um, it comes from a, a journalist by the name of David Brooks and he writes for the New York Times and he wrote a piece about 10 years ago where he talked about that magical moment in life where we shift from um, the achievements of life, you know, where we think it's more about a resume um, to, hey, I, I really need to be developing my eulogy. Um, some people will call it your ethical will. Um, but I'm curious for you, Carrie, like, as you think through some of the principles that are, will be on your eulogy, what do you want them to be? And what are some of those things that you want passed on, whether it be, you know, for your family or whether it be even the teams that you lead today? I love David Brooks, second mountain. Uh, I am, I am a, I started the climb of my second mountain. Um, yeah. So um, I think a lot about this because. I think a life best live is one that is both in service to others and in service to yourself. And I know that that might be controversial, but my mother, for example, is in service to other people. She always puts herself last and there is a certain amount of suffering that comes from that. And the certain amount of 
like, man, I never just went for it. I never went for it because I was always like worried about how that was going to impact others. And was I going to be able to serve you kids the way that you needed to? Was I going to be able to, you know, help my parents the way that they needed that help? And it's not that that there's any regrets on her part, but she never just like went for it and, and did went after some of the things that she wanted to do in life because she felt like that was in service of herself instead of, of others. And I think that the very best thing is to be able to do both. How do you bring the very best parts of yourself forward to make a positive impact on your own life and the life of others? And so, you know, what I want my eulogy to say is like, she went for it, you know, she went for her goals and not only did she create success and a better life for herself, but she touched the lives of so many others. Like she inspired people to go after their dreams. She helped people to go after their goals and, and create the life that, that they wanted and her generosity, um, and her generosity helped people helped me get to where I am. But I was also inspired by the fact that she went for it, that she made things happen in life for herself and for other people. So that's what I would like my eulogy to, to say is something like that is, is that there is a big impactful life that created success for everybody involved that left people inspired, feeling joy, feeling like they could too go for it and make their dreams happen. Carrie, thank you so much for just a really uh, enjoyable conversation and encouraging conversation. If somebody's listening to this and they want to learn more um, about either your podcasts or uh, your work, what's the best way that you'd recommend that they do that? They can, uh, so I, you can go to a couple different ways. Um, so my company is called Stone Age. You can go to um, stoneageholdings.com and find um, all about our company there. We're an employee-owned company. So we are doing really cool things with uh, kind of reshaping the way capitalism is, is thought about um, and sharing the success with the people who are building the value in the company, which is our employees. Um, so really cool things there. Um, I have a personal website, carriesiggins.com which has um, all about my personal philosophy on owning it, on personal responsibility, on self-leadership. Um, and then the best way to connect with me is on LinkedIn. And you can find me there on Carrie Siggins. Um, and I have a new book coming out. It'll be out in, in, uh, in October of this year called The Ownership Mindset that I share a lot of this philosophy and this journey that I've learned to, to really truly embracing the ownership mindset and how it can change your life and the lives of those who you lead. Thank you again, Carrie. Really appreciate your time and know that we wish you and your family nothing but truth, beauty, and goodness on the road ahead. Have a great day and we look forward to uh, the book coming out and future conversations, okay? Thank you. Thank you again for joining us. We trust that this time has left you better equipped to steward both your wealth and your financial resources. May you and your family find truth, beauty, and goodness on the road ahead. The opinions voiced in the Wisdom and Wealth podcast by Josh Clues are for general information purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. No strategy assures success or protects against loss. 
To determine what may be appropriate for you, please consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. The guests on the Wisdom and Wealth podcast are not affiliated with CWM LLC. Investment advisory services are offered through CWM LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor. Please know that converting from a traditional IRA to a Roth IRA is a taxable event. A Roth IRA offers tax-free withdrawals on taxable contributions. To qualify for a tax-free and penalty-free withdrawal on earnings, a Roth IRA must be in place for at least five tax years. The distribution must take place after age 59 and a half or due to death, disability, or a first-time home purchase of up to $10,000 lifetime maximum. Depending on state law, Roth IRA distributions may be subject to state taxes. Our local address is 1780 Hughes Landing, Suite 570, Woodlands, Texas, 77380.